0: Friends, would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, as much as I love this day when we give Bibles to children and celebrate the wisdom of the Reformers who entrust each of us with the word, I always wince just a little bit. This is not a PG book. For all of the 365 times the Bible tells us not to be afraid, there are stories which seem to have the express purpose of striking fear into our hearts. For all of the love and compassion and mercy we find in Scripture there are also texts that terrify. And so I send them off, hoping that they will find the tale of the babe and the manger, but not read so far into the story that they come to the massacre of the innocents. I hope they will find and treasure and love the story of Joseph and the dream coat, but close the book and set it aside before they come to the part where his jealous brothers sell him off into slavery. I hope they will find Moses and Miriam and the Israelites in the Exodus as they escape from slavery into freedom, but not read so far that they find the horses and chariots and pursuing Egyptians swallowed up by that same sea. I hope they will skip over some of the stories, like Dinah and Jephthah's daughter, altogether. I hope they will save the Good Friday stories for a few more years. Our own text this morning closes also with a terrifying thought that there is an outer darkness where someone could be thrown, a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our scripture reading this morning is in the middle of three connected stories that come from the 25th chapter, this part of the Gospel of Matthew that is called the mini-apocalypse. These are passages to prepare us for the second coming. Or, as we put it in our pastoral team meeting last week when we quoted the old bumper sticker, these are stories that remind us, Jesus is coming back, look busy. Just before this passage, we had had the wise and the foolish bridesmaids with their lamps. And immediately following this passage comes the one about the sheep and the goats. I want to look ahead to that text for a moment so we can set it alongside our passage for today. Do you remember this? The Son of Man will come in his glory and all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. He will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And what will be the criteria by which Jesus separates the two groups, the sheep and the goats? Do you remember this? He says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. They will say to him, when, Lord, when was it? That we saw you were hungry and fed you. When was it? And he says, Truly I tell you, whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. When we think about what a talent is this morning in our scripture, I think we have to set it in a much larger context of what it means to live in the kingdom. This passage is not only about money. Although if it is about money, it's important to realize that what a talent was worth was probably 20 years' salary for an average worker. Now, can you do the math and wonder what 20-year salary might look like as one coin? An unfathomable amount of money. And if you were to think about it, you might be able to say that it's trying to put a value on all of your potential life's work. What sort of goodness, what sort of value could you put out into the world over 20 years with all of your gifts and your skills? No wonder it was overwhelming to try to figure out for this one person what to do with it. It can't just represent something financial, that could have been invested and made some sort of interest. It is a, mag- a massive gift from God that this person has received. It represents a huge capacity for all that you can do and all that you can be in the world. So when the person comes forward who received the one talent and says, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man reaping what you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed, the master's going to respond to him, you wicked and lazy slave. But the text doesn't say that he was wicked and lazy. Did you realize what it said that he was instead? He was afraid. He was afraid. When he buried his talent in the ground... It wasn't that he was trying to hide some sum of money. He was afraid to be who God had asked him to be. He was afraid to be himself. He was afraid to take on the challenge of living in the kingdom. He was afraid to do what others around him were doing. When Jesus calls his disciples, he shows them how you live, how you love, how you care for one another. There are going to be people around who look like the least of these, your brothers and sisters, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are sick, those who are strangers and need a welcome, those who are in prison. He was afraid to live into his call as a person of God. So I wanted to think with you this morning about fear. His fear had incapacitated him. And I wonder if you know people who you would say are like that, people who have become so afraid that they have a hard time doing anything at all. Fear is having a rebranding moment. There are social psychologists who are explaining that fear isn't really so bad. It has evolved, we have evolved, to feel fear because it protects us and keeps us alive. They would tell us that our brains are wired the way they are because our ancestors were the ones who kept watch for the wild animals, who slept with one eye open, who didn't stray too close to the edge of the cliff, who didn't risk eating that strange berry. It also kept them behaving in ways that wouldn't get them kicked out of their social unit off to fend for themselves, so that fear could teach them cooperation and social skills. In our own life, there are so many times that fear has probably kept each and every one of the people in these pews alive. That fear has kept you from doing some pretty foolish things. I won't call on you and ask you what some of those were, but I'm sure you can call to mind a time that fear stopped you and protected you. So of course our brains have evolved to fear. It is a great protector. Fear can keep us not only alive, but doing our jobs and doing them pretty well, getting along with our neighbors, not driving too fast, sometimes biting our tongue. And a healthy dose of fear can also be a terrific motivator. Many of the things that we do well, we do because the fear of the consequence of doing things badly. We fear that more than we fear just showing up and doing the hard thing. But too many modern brains are on high alert too much of the time. And this is why our director of Disciple Road, Kim Feeney, had invited a dear friend of hers, Dr. Jeff Tesso Tess- 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 to come and give a parent lecture on Thursday night. And he taught us more about how to communicate with the children that we are so fortunate to be able to raise. And we talked about how the prefrontal cortex is the seat of higher decision-making and good communication skills and higher-order thinking, and it's the amygdala that has fight, flight, or freeze. Don't you think the person in the text was operating out of the amygdala and had gone into this fight response that had him freeze? So Dr. Jeff explained that the prefrontal cortex in young people isn't really finished developing, when do you think it's finished in women? 21 to 23, early 20s for women. And around when do you think it wraps up finishing in men? (laughs) I heard a never. (laughs) The current scientific thinking is around 28. It takes a long time to finish developing our prefrontal cortex. And some of his fantastic advice that really helps us communicate with anybody, it doesn't just have to be children and teenagers, who go into this fight, flight, or freeze response. You cannot have a rational discussion with somebody who is frozen in fear, with somebody who is operating out of their amygdala. They have to calm down. He described ways to help co-regulate If you relax, if you take some deep breaths, it will allow them to relax, to realize they are safe. That wild animal that their brain had evolved to fear is not in the room. They're safe, they're okay, and they can start to think and start to process together. Fear is a fascinating response. But I wonder about the other two who were very successful. And I wonder if perhaps we could say that maybe, if given this massive sum of money, I mean, call to mind again what the earning potential of somebody might be over 20 years, entrusted a few coins that represent that amount of money, don't you think they were just a little bit afraid as well? And don't you think if they weren't afraid, they wouldn't have been very smart? It's okay to feel afraid with something this massive. And what they did was they tapped into a deeper strength. They tapped into a source of courage. And while we start to think about how it is that somebody might be able to do that, I want to set this text aside, our reading, from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians this morning. He is encouraging the folks in this church He says to them, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. So he's saying, of course you might feel afraid, but what can we do about it? He says, but you, beloved, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. So let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, For a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, as indeed you are doing. So, this reading is a perfect challenge to the first one, because in our everyday lives and in our church life, It doesn't work quite the way that it does when the master gives different amounts of money to three separate people and goes away and they all go off on their own and have nothing to do with each other. So the good news is that that's not the whole story and that's not how we live our lives and that we have the possibility of being courageous. We have this image that Paul gives us of waking up every day and we choose what we're going to put on in the morning and he suggests that we what we put on for armor is a breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation and to go out into the world and to live this life together we are not sent out into the world alone in church life these 3 would be given a combined amount of money and they would be on a committee together and they would be following Robert's rules And after a hard discussion, they would take a vote. And the one who said, come on, guys, I know what to do. We're going to bury all our talents in the ground would get outvoted by the two who could show some courage and who would say, you know what we can do instead? We can do some kingdom work with this, and we don't have to be afraid of what might happen. Also, in our everyday lives, we can emulate people who show true courage. And now, courage isn't a foolhardy or foolishness. People who evolved to have courage evolved also to have the same feelings of fear. But they've learned how to challenge that fear, to use it to motivate them, and to go and do the hard things anyway. So we can always find people who know how to do this. I wonder who those people are in your lives who show true courage. And I wonder if there has ever been a time when you had to do something really, really hard, and you realized you didn't have to do it alone. You could choose to do it alongside someone else who knew how. The Apostle Paul tells them, encourage one another, build one another up, as indeed you are doing. And finally, Jesus never actually goes away. We can never take a parable and say it's exactly like this. Jesus is not this cruel, harsh enslaver who gives us something and then abandons us to go away and will come back and surprise us to see what we have done with it. Jesus never goes away. After the crucifixion, the disciples were terrified in the Gospel of John. They went and they hid themselves away. They had this response that had them completely frozen in fear in a locked upper room. And what Jesus does is he breaks through that locked door and he says to them, Do not be afraid. And he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus never will abandon you to figure it out on your own. Jesus will always show up to help you work through it. And that promise that is ultimately there when he says to the ones who have figured it out, enter into the joy of your master, he will always help us figure out how to do this thing that he describes as kingdom living. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I came that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Friends, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Thanks be to God.